Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 73 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. It's our monthly questions and answers session today, so stay tuned for some cracking questions and hopefully my helpful replies. short and sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span a beekeeper in fact just like me before we get into the questions my weekly roundup has a distinct taste of disaster about it and not really about beekeeping as you may have seen by the pictures i've posted on patreon the ranger pickup has had yet another major malfunction this time it's the clutch i was driving along quite happily had to change down a gear and that was followed by a loud bang and some very rough grinding sounds and a feel as if I'd missed putting it into gear properly. So I took it out of gear and then it wouldn't go back, just nothing would happen. So I pulled over to the side of the road and discovered a puddle of what I guess was clutch fluid beneath the engine bay. It's beginning to feel like I'm rebuilding the truck this year. Anyway, I was lucky to be able to get the truck transported back to my local garage where it remains currently waiting to have a new clutch fitted. Another major hole in my wallet. But um, that to one side, I must get back to the queen-rearing apiary by the weekend, though, as I have six developing queen cells in one of the queen-rearing colonies, and they will be well-capped and getting ready to emerge. The last thing I want is for those to emerge and destroy each other before I get a chance to sort them out, or even swarm. And as with most things in queen rearing, once you start the clock ticking, you can't easily put anything on hold. Maybe I'll have to cycle over to the apiary instead. Talking of cycling, I've decided it's time to lose some weight and get fit again. I used to jog quite a bit. In fact, I have run a marathon, but that was many, many years ago. And well, my back just isn't up to it at the moment. So I'm getting back on my bike and to make it easier for me, I've hooked it up to one of those indoor turbo trainers in the garage and connected to an online program called Swift. It's a virtual cycling app that allows you to cycle different routes and it looks like quite a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to uh, connecting up with that. So if any of you out there are using Zwift as well, look out for me next time you're online. My username is full stop, full stop, beekeeper Stuart. So I should be fairly easy to spot. Anyway, enough of my fitness regime. Let's get on with today's questions. The first up is from Simon Rice, who asks, when queen rearing with larvae transfers, how do you stop the wax builders from creating burr comb between and around your cells, please? I have had a number of attempts to raise queen cells this summer, and each time they've enveloped the queen cells in this way. Thank you. Well, hi, Simon, and many thanks for your question. This is an all-too-familiar issue when queen-rearing, and I've struggled with this problem myself, including this season, where I had three perfectly viable queen cells completely encased in burr or brace coat. I spoke to a fellow queen-rearing beekeeper who suggested putting a frame of foundation in a couple of frames away from the queen cells to give them something to draw out, and the last time I tried it, they work the foundation and not the queen cells. So I think that might just be the answer. Give it a try and see how you get on. Next up is a question from Ben Hone, who says, For me, as a new beekeeper, this year has been hard. I overwintered all three of my hives, but two swarmed early in the year when I was at work, and then both through after swarms too while I was away. 
One of those did not successfully remate, so it is hopelessly queenless currently, and the other I'm waiting to find out if it mated successfully. It would help to get a general description for swarm management. For example, how often do you inspect the hives? How thorough of an inspection do you make every frame? Or just by tipping the box up, do you shake the bees off the frames during an inspection? Or do you find you can do what you need while still having a frame covered with bees? Other than queen cups, what are you looking for? If you find any queen cups, do you knock them down? Is there anything else you can do to reduce the likelihood of swarming? For example, if you learn to give them more space, do you find that swarm pressures are usually eliminated? Finally, on this last point, can you outline some of the methods you rely on to give them more space? Thanks. Wow, Ben, that's quite a question. And to be honest, it's one that I'm going to save for next week. Because you ask some really important questions and it could take up an entire podcast to go through all of your questions with the fullest of answers. So all I would say is be patient, hold on until next week and I'll answer your various and specific questions next week. So parking Ben's question, let's move on to Steve Hancock's question. And Steve asks, on some of my hives, the bees are reluctant to pass through the queen excluder to go into the super if I remove the queen excluder, they work really hard in the supers. What's your thoughts? I must add, it's not a case that they're unable to get through. Hi Steve, it's a great question and something I think we all come up against at some time or another. The bees are building strongly, there are lots of workers in the brood box, yet they don't seem interested in moving through the queen excluder into an empty super. I've actually got a colony exactly like this at the moment. I call them my lazy bees. They don't seem interested in doing any work outside of the brood box, despite having a box full of bees. It may well be genetic in some instances, but I have no direct evidence of this. I do know that on some occasions, though, when I've added a super and the bees have refused to move through, it has been because the foundation was quite old. The answer was to remove the box and waft a gentle flame across the wax foundation, which just melts the surface layer of wax, and it seems to release that lovely fresh wax smell. Returning the super to the hive, the bees were straight through and onto the wax foundation. You don't say if it's a metal or plastic queen excluder? Could this be a possible reason, or give you a possible answer? A bit like when the queen doesn't like laying eggs in the cells that have the wires running through them? Could it be some kind of metal phobia, perhaps? Like you, if I remove the queen excluder, the bees flood through and work the supers or the additional box that I've put on them. And that is the solution to the problem, really. As long as you don't leave it too long, or the queen will start laying eggs in the super frames. But other than that, I'm not really too sure exactly why the bees are reluctant to go up through the queen excluder. Steve Golpin asks... Hi Stuart, removing and extracting summer honey. I placed my supers on after the oilseed rape harvest. The bees started to fill the frames a few days ago and I'm looking forward to a few weeks flow. My plan is to leave the supers and add more if required until mid-August with the need of one honey extraction and one major kitchen cleaning just before varroa treatments. Are there any problems leaving the summer honey on for six plus weeks? Well, hi, Steve, and many thanks for the question. And hopefully you're enjoying some fine weather and the bees are filling up those supers quickly for you. There's absolutely no problem at all leaving summer supers on for the whole of the summer period and removing them just the once for a single extraction day. And it makes perfect sense. As you say, just one major kitchen cleaning exercise and then you're done. 
Timing the removal of the supers is important. I prefer to remove my supers just after the final week of forage, and that can be anything from late July through to mid-August. Like you, I'll then be starting varroa treatments. Fingers crossed that you get a decent crop this summer. Next up is a question from Julian Keenleyside, who posts, Hi Stuart, I'm now nervous of seeing queen cells having lost a swarm in April through bad management on my part and in my first beekeeping April. It's taken about two months to get the queenless colony back on track, introducing a new queen who was then superseded. Today, the colony seems fine. Lots of eggs. Didn't spot the queen, but she's not marked and I could easily miss her. There is, however, one capped queen cell. This time I took it down, but is that the right thing to do? What if the bees are trying to replace the queen? Alternatively, if I leave it, how do I know it won't encourage another swarm? This seems a real gap in my beekeeping knowledge. Well, hi, Julian. And I think there are a lot of beekeepers out there with exactly this question on their mind right now. It's an excellent question. Queen cells and what to do with them at this time of the year is always a regular topic of conversation that I have with many beekeepers and not just beginners. Of course, we're past the main swarm season now, and it's easy to imagine that all the queen cells from this point are on supersedure cells. I've made that assumption myself, only to be caught out by a swarm in September, can you believe? So it does happen and it can catch you out. Providing you have eggs, it's not going to be a problem if you knock down the queen cell and look to see if the workers create another. That might start to make you think that something's going on. Ask yourself a few questions about what you're seeing. Is it just one queen cell? Is it positioned in a supersedure location, mid-frame, or more towards the bottom of the frame? Although this isn't a guarantee that it isn't a swarm cell, as I've had colonies swarm from queen cells scattered all over the place. Another important question is to ask, is the queen healthy? Does she look okay? It might be that she's been injured in some way, and that's why they're trying to supersede her. Also check the brood pattern. Is it in good shape? Do you have large areas of nicely sealed brood with a good digestive biscuit colour with only a few empty cells? Or is it really spotty with large areas of missing brood? Has the queen been laying in a sporadic fashion, one or two eggs here and there before moving on to another part of the frame and then coming back and laying more eggs on the same frame maybe a few hours or days later so that the brood is of varying ages throughout the frame? These could be signs that she's failing or has something wrong with her and that's why they're trying to supersede her. Ultimately, it's about reading the signs, making a choice and learning from the outcome. Sometimes we get it spot on, other times we lose a swarm or entire colony occasionally. Julian, I would go back in and have a good look at the queen and the brood and make a decision from what you see. Make lots of notes and see what happens after you make your choice of what to do. A couple of questions from Ian Haslam next, who asks, Hi Stuart, we all seem to have had a proportion of drone-laying queens due to the weather and timings. I have one colony that is definitely a drone-laying queen with... Excellent nest and brood pattern, it's just all drone brood. I spent three hours this week trying everything I could think of to try to find her. I'm normally quite good at spotting the queen. I tried three passes at frame inspection, moved the hive away so the flying bees would bleed off into a replacement box, separated the frames into pairs, even tried sieving them through a queen excluder with the brood below. Still no queen found. 
eventually shook all the remaining bees out about 50 yards away on the other side of the house and gave them a frame of fertilised eggs. I'm glad to say that at four days later there is evidence of a queen cell, which I removed and requeened. The question then, any tricks that I've missed to find the elusive drone-laying queen? She's not marked as I've never seen her. Thanks as ever, Ian. Well, hi Ian, and I think, actually, you've tried most of the tricks there, and it's obviously worked. A marked queen is always an easier proposition, of course, and it's one of the reasons I mark all of my queens. Of course, with a drone-laying queen, if she has never been out to mate for whatever reason, she's still likely to be relatively small, tricky to spot, and can slip through a queen excluder and dodge the eagle eyes of a beekeeper quite well. It sounds like you've gone through the logical steps to find her and seem to be well on your way to recovering the situation. I have to add, with a great deal of patience as well. I'm not sure I would have gone through all of those steps. Ian's follow-up question is regarding treatments and he asks, I'm planning Apigard Varroa treatments this year. My question is, how would you treat nukes? I have no eeks, so maybe put it in a feeder with the bung removed to let them have access but then the bees will be in the way when I need to feed. So with nukes, um, I've got a variety of different options because I have a variety of different nukes, and that allows the Apigard foil tray to sit above the frames and then have a small gap for the bees to move around. Others don't have this gap, so some of the nukes have got quite a large roof space, so when you put the roof on, there's a gap, and that would be sufficient, but some of the others don't, and the roof space clamps down quite closely. Other nukes have crime boards which I've removed and I do have some with homemade eeks so maybe you could try that. It doesn't have to be too complicated, just enough to create a secure gap enough for the Apigard tray and the bees to move around it. As a last resort and if all else fails you could scrape the gel out of the tray and transfer it onto the top bars of the frames. I'm sure it would be just as effective there. Alternatively, send Pete a message at the workshop and get him to make up some eeks for you. I'm sure he won't charge too much. Kevin Gray asks, Stuart, I'm currently working in Tunisia while my good lady is at home tending to a swarm up a hawthorn tree with the aid of one of our mentors. This will be our 19th colony, and whilst we will combine a few before winter, I'm starting to plan for next year's swarming season with a plan to have our first outapiary. With this in mind, we're trying to decide between traditional and polyhives. This swarm will be going into our first polyhive, with the rest being mainly in traditional cedar. Do you have a preference, and have you seen much difference between the different makes of polyhive? Well, hi Kevin, and thanks for the question. The single biggest difference for me is that I can lift the polyhives a lot more easily than the wooden ones. I've even managed to lift a polyhive complete onto the back of the truck, where I just wouldn't have been able to have done that with a wooden hive. As far as the different makes are concerned, I've really only experienced with polynukes uh, in terms of a lot of different types of nuke. And my favourite is the BS Honey 2-in-1 nuke in terms of the national size frames. In terms of the hives, I've really only got the Maysmore polyhive, which is fantastic. I'm really happy with that, and that's a commercial hive and also the Happy Valley Honey Honey Poor Langstroth Polyhives. As far as the bees are concerned, they really don't seem to have a preference, and I think there are far too many variables for me to say yet if one outperforms the other. 
I guess if you're going to go swanning off abroad and leave all the hard work to your good lady, then perhaps polyhives might be the way forward. It really is an individual choice, though, but perhaps I can sum up by saying I'm planning another apiary for next year and it will be filled with the Honeypaw Langstroth polyhives from Happy Valley Honey. And so that probably gives an indication of where my thoughts lie on what I'd like to use in the future. Our next question is from Mike Freeman, who says, Hi, Stuart. I've started beekeeping this year. I got my bees at the start of June and they're in a polyhive. I put a super on two weeks ago and it's filling with honey and beginning to be capped. The bees look good with no signs of varroa and all seems well. The guy that owns the land my bees are on is interested and wants a hive of his own and to start beekeeping. I would also like another colony. So I was thinking of doing the split I've seen on your videos with the parent colony moved somewhere else in the field and the two nukes in its place. Is this something I could do this year, or should I wait until next spring? I also would like to take some honey, but would this be asking too much if I'm splitting, and should I leave the honey for them? Regards, Mike. Well, hi, Mike. It sounds like you've done brilliantly this season, and I'd hate to advise you to do something that could cause issues as you head into the autumn. Splitting colonies can be very simple and work out with no fuss at all, first time, every time. But there are some issues that could crop up and give you a headache going into the autumn and the winter months. Personally, I think I would get another brood box on them as soon as you take off your super and carry out what's called a Bailey comb change and get the colony to draw out another box of brood frames. Then I'd leave them on a double brood over winter and look to do the splitting in the spring. Having a double brood will give them lots of stores for the long winter months and should see them grow strongly in the spring, so you can split early and benefit from your excellent beekeeping this year. Of course, as with most things in beekeeping, there are a lot of options, and if you wanted to, you could probably get away with doing a split right now. Personally, I would be patient, see out this season successfully, and start strong next spring. Finally, our last question for this week comes from Christopher Hindle, who says, Hello Stuart, do you have any ideas on how to treat polystyrene hives with oxalic acid? Obviously concerned that without great care, the hot metal will melt the polystyrene. Regards, Chris. Well, hi Chris, and thanks for the question. And you're obviously referring to oxalic acid sublimation rather than the trickle method. If you chose to use the trickle method, then you wouldn't have any problems at all. But I know exactly what not to do because I did it just last winter and melted one of my polyhives. What I have done is made up several wooden eeks for the polyhives and drilled a hole through the side so that I can insert the nozzle of the oxalic acid sublimator and therefore avoid melting any of the polystyrene hives. I've tried a shortcut by pushing it in at the entrance, and this was last winter, but I just allowed it to touch the floor and melted a very nice groove into the base. So lesson learned there, and I won't be doing that again. Talking of learning lessons, if you know anyone out there who'd like to get started in beekeeping, please do tell them about the Patreon page. So far this year, I've posted content over 125 times, and that's thanks to all of you who support the page and my work. Well, that's it for today. Have a great beekeeping week, and thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast, and do keep the comments coming. I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping, short and sweet. Yeah.